Love what you hear? Be sure to check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash finish the fight for exclusive episodes, insights, and even our D&D adventure. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Welcome back to Finish the Fight, a gaming podcast. Where we produce and develop the highest quality gaming research in podcast form. I'm your host, Alex Kendall. And I'm your host, Derek Baker. And today we're back with another Alex Indie Corner, the AIC, as we all love and know it. <laughs> uh, we, have, we have kind of a, um, a pioneer of sorts of kind of that second wave of indies coming about uh, in the early 2010s. That was kind of getting this wave of not just making platformers or kind of like um, um, gimmicky mimic games of, of other genres, but kind of making something of its own to tell a very interesting story. And today we're going to be talking about Papers, Please. Yeah, the, truly that era in the, the early 10s, there's just, I think, all these ideas that are starting to come around where it's not just trying to make these big AAA titles, it's thinking about totally different styles of game. Maybe they're a little bit mundane compared to mm -hmm. other games. Definitely not as action-oriented. This one definitely fits in that category where it's not anything that should be super particularly interesting, but it fits in that same little niche of like simulator-style games where yeah. it's like, this shouldn't really be fun because, hey, you can just go outside. This is just work in a video game. But for whatever reason, this takes a mundane task, makes it just a little bit more salacious and interesting and adds a little bit of maybe a criminal type of element to it to make it a very mundane job, an interesting video game. So excited to talk about this one as always. Absolutely. So let's get to it. Papers, Please is a puzzle simulation video game created by indie game developer Lucas Pope developed and published through his production company, 3909 LLC. The game was released on August 8th, 2013 for Microsoft Windows and OS X, for Linux on February 12th, 2014, and for iOS on December 12th, 2014. A port for the PlayStation Vita was announced in August 2014 and was then released a couple years later on December 12th, 2017. A new port for iOS as well as for Android was released in August of 2022. In Papers, Please, the player takes on the role of a border-crossing immigration officer in the fictional dystopian Eastern Bloc-like country of Aristotska, which has been and continues to be at political hostilities with its neighboring countries. The game takes place at a migration checkpoint. As the immigration officer, the player must review each immigrant and returning citizen's passports and other supporting paperwork against an ever-growing list of rules using a number of tools and guides. Tasks include allowing those with the proper paperwork in while rejecting those without all the proper documents, detaining those with falsified information, and balancing personal finances. 
Papers, Please was positively received on its release, and it has come to be seen as an example of an empathy game and a demonstration of video games as an art form. The game was recognized as one of the greatest video games ever made, along with various awards and nominations from the Independent Games Festival, Game Developers Choice Awards, and BAFTA Video Game Awards, and was named by Wired and The New Yorker as one of the top games of 2013. By its 10th anniversary, Papers, Please has sold more than 5 million copies. And so let's talk a little bit about the creator, Lucas Pope. He grew up in Virginia. His father was a handyman, which gave Pope access to a well-stocked array of parts and tools that led to an interest in mechanical engineering. When he got to high school, he met a friend who was interested in robotics, and the two of them would take retail robot kits, take them apart, and reconnect them to their own computers to see how they could control them. Inspired to continue into the mechanical and robotics field, Pope attended Virginia Tech to study mechanical engineering. He found that the reality of what constituted the field was less desirable than what he wanted, but did take strong interest in the computer programming side of his coursework. During this period, he got involved with the Quake community and helped to develop mods for Quake and other games, principally working on the art used for the characters in the mods. Pope collaborated with other video game modders, including working on an officially sanctioned mod by Sony Pictures to promote Anaconda. Pope and another set of modders decided to form their own studio, Ratloop, releasing the Total Quake conversion mod Malice in 1997. Ratloop struggled with distribution through retail channels. While Walmart would help distribute their game, the chain required Ratloop to have 5,000 copies ready to ship within 24 hours at any time, requiring Ratloop to secure a publisher to help. After a first failed 3D game, Ratloop decided to develop a car repair game, Gearhead Garage. It was successful enough to be picked up by Activision for retail distribution, it gave Ratloop sufficient funds to try a number of experimental games, something which had interested Pope. However, none of these were published and facing competition from other studios, particularly from Eastern Europe, that could make games at substantially lower prices, Ratloop became dormant. Pope left Ratloop and joined Realtime Associates in 2003. While at Realtime, he was part of the team that developed the game Remission a 2006 shooter whose goal was to encourage children with cancer to take their chemotherapy medication. Pope moved to Santa Monica and got a job with Naughty Dog in 2007. While Pope did not have a strong programming background, he felt that Naughty Dog had hired him because of his interest in developing the tools and interfaces needed to help in programming their game. Pope's strength in developing GUI tools augmented Naughty Dog's weakness at the time with Pope stating that at the time of his hiring, there was no full-time GUI tools guy at all, just command line, back-end tools people. Pope had been hired about halfway through the development of Uncharted Drake's Fortune, and continued to work on the sequel Uncharted 2 Among Thieves. He credited the director of the sequel, Bruce Straley, for teaching him how to focus a game's design around core concepts to make the game fun even if this meant sacrificing work that had already been completed. Former Naughty Dog president Christopher Bellestra said of Pope's work on the design tools, quote, We were desperate to find a good tools programmer. He was part of the people who saved the day. Specifically, Pope developed GUI tools for the game's menu systems, save systems, level layout to assist level designers, 
and a system to organize sound and text files for various languages. After Uncharted 2 had shipped in 2009, Naughty Dog was set to continue on to the next sequel, Uncharted 3 Drake's Deception, but Pope wanted to spend more time on his love of experimental games. In the interim between games, he and his wife, Kiku Ishizaka, spent two weeks to develop Mightier, a small game based around creating 3D levels from camera scans of a 2D drawing, and its title a play on the phrase, the pen is mightier than the sword. They submitted Mightier to the Independent Games Festival, or IGF, where it was nominated for one of the awards, and which led to Valve contacting Pope about putting Mightier up on Steam as a free game. Both Pope and Ishizaka decided to quit their current jobs in 2010 and move to Saitama, Japan, in close proximity to Ishizaka's family, and continue to pursue small independent game development. Over the next few years, Pope and Ishizaka worked on a number of experimental games. One of their first was a mobile game called Helsing's Fire, which won the 2011 IGF for Best Mobile Game. Another title was The Republia Times in 2012, which he had come up with originally as part of a Ludum Dare game jam. He helped to port Rocket Birds, Hard Boiled Chicken, a game developed by members of Ratloop, to the PlayStation 3. This work required him and Ishizaka to temporarily live in Singapore for about a year with frequent trips to the United States. During these travels, Pope came upon an idea for a game involving a passport inspector, which served as the inspiration for Pope's breakout game, Papers, Please, released first in 2013. Papers, Please was critically praised, winning several awards, including several Game Developers' Choice and IGF awards, including the Seamus McNally Grand Prize for Best Indie Game, as well as a British Academy Games Award for Best Simulation Game, or a BAFTA. For Pope and his wife, Papers, Please was financially successful. The game had sold about 1.8 million copies by August 2016, and through 2018, still sold enough that Pope was not worried about his financial security as he was developing his next game, Return of the Obra Dinn. So as we said, Papers, Please was developed by Lucas Pope, who was a former developer for Naughty Dog on the Uncharted series. Pope opted to leave Naughty Dog around 2010 after Uncharted 2, Among Thieves, was released to move to Saitama, Japan, along with his wife, Kiko, a game designer herself. Part of this move was to be closer to her family, but Pope also had been developing smaller games along with Kiko during his time at Naughty Dog and wanted to move away from the definite formula of the Uncharted series toward developing more exploratory ideas for his own games. The two worked on a few independent game titles while there, and they briefly relocated to Singapore to help another friend with their game. From his travels in Asia and some return trips to the United States, he became interested in the work of immigration and passport inspectors. Quote, they have a specific thing that they're doing, and they're just doing it over and over again. He recognized the passport checking experience, which he considered tense, could be made into a fun game. While he had been able to come up with the mechanics of the passport checking, Pope lacked a story to drive the game. He was then inspired by films like Argo and the Bourne series, which feature characters attempting to infiltrate into, or out of, other countries with subterfuge. Pope saw the opportunity to reverse those scenarios, putting the player in the role of the immigration officer to stop these types of agents, matching up with his existing gameplay mechanics. 
he created the fictional nation of Aristotska, fashioned as a totalitarian 1982 Eastern Bloc state with the player guided to uphold the glory of this country by rigorously checking passports and defeating those that might infiltrate it. Aristotska was partially derived from the setting of Pope's earlier game, The Republia Times, where the player acts as editor-in-chief of a newspaper in a totalitarian state and must decide on which stories to include or falsify to uphold the interests of the state. Pope also based aspects of the border crossing for Aristotska and its neighbors on the Berlin Wall and issues between East and West Germany, stating he was, quote, naturally attracted to Orwellian communist bureaucracy. He made sure to avoid including any specific references to these inspirations, such as avoiding the word comrade in both the English and translated versions, as it would directly allude to a Soviet Russia implication. Using a fictional country gave Pope more freedom in the narrative, not having to base events in the game on any real-world politics and avoiding preconceived assumptions. Work on the game began in November 2012. Pope used his personal financial reserves from his time at Naughty Dog for what he thought would be a few weeks' worth of effort to complete and then move on to a more commercially viable title. Pope used the Hacks programming language and the NME framework both open source. He was able to build structures he and his wife developed for Helsing's Fire, an iOS game they developed after moving to Japan, as this provided the means to set how much information about a character could or could not be shown to the player. This also enabled him to include random and semi-random encounters in which similar events would occur in separate games, but the immigrant's name or details would be different. Much of the game's design was about the purposely clunky user interface elements of checking paperwork, something that Pope was inspired by from his earlier programming experiences from using visual programming languages like HyperCard. Pope found that there was a very careful balance of what rules and randomness could be introduced without overwhelming the player or causing the balance of the game to falter, and cut back on some of the randomness he initially wanted. Pope attempted to keep the narrative non-judgmental about the choices the player made, allowing them to imagine their own take on the events, and further kept elements like the player character's family status screen shown at the end of each day simple so that it would not affect the player's take on these results. As Pope developed the game, he regularly posted updates to the independent development forum TIG Source and got helpful feedback on some of the game's direction. He also created a publicly available demonstration of the game, which gave him additional positive feedback. Pope opted to try to have his game submitted to the Steam storefront through the user-voted greenlight process in April 2013. He was hesitant that the niche nature of the game would put off potential voters and had expected that he would gain more interest from upcoming gaming expositions. However, due to attention drawn by several YouTube streamers that played through the demo, Papers, Please was voted through Greenlight within days. With new attention to the project, Pope estimated that the game would now take six months to complete, though it ultimately took nine months. One area he expanded on was to create several unique character names for the various citizens that would pass through the game. He opened up to the public to supply names, but ended up with over 30,000 entries, with more than half he considered unusable as they did not figure out the types of Eastern European names he wanted or were otherwise joke names. After the green light process, 
Pope started to add other features that required the player as a lowly checkpoint worker to make significant moral decisions within the game. One such design was the inclusion of the body scanner, where Pope envisioned that the player would recognize this being an invasion of privacy, but necessary to detect a suicide bomber. These also helped to drive the game's narrative to provide a rationale for why the player as the passport checker would need to have access to these new tools in response to the larger events in the game's fiction. After being successfully voted on Greenlight, Papers, Please was being touted as an empathy game, similar to Cart Life released in 2011, helping Pope to justify his narrative choices. Pope also recognized that not all players would necessarily appreciate the narrative aspects and started to develop the endless mode, where players would simply need to process a queue of immigrants limited only by the player making a certain number of mistakes. With the full release, Pope also had the game ported to the iPad and was considering a port to the PlayStation Vita, though noted that with the handheld, there are several challenges related to the game's user interface that may have to be revamped. The Vita version, I love that combo, was formally announced at the 2014 GamesCon convention in August 2014. With the iOS release, Apple required Pope to censor the full-body scanner feature from the game, considering the aspect to be pornographic content. However, Apple later commented that the rejection was due to a misunderstanding and allowed Pope to resubmit the uncensored game by including a nudity option. The iPad version was subsequently released on December 12, 2014, with the Vita releasing on the same day just three years later. By March 2014, Pope stated that he was kind of sick to death of Papers, Please, in that he wanted to continue to focus on smaller games that would only take a few months of time to create and release, and had already spent far too much in his mind on this one. He expected to keep supporting Papers, Please and its ports, but had no plans to expand the game or release downloadable content, but does not rule out revisiting the Aristotska setting again in a future game. An updated iOS release and an Android port was released on August 5th, 2022. The iOS version was free for those that already owned the iPad version. Both versions were redesigned by developers to make the game playable on smaller screens without having to zoom, for example. And on the game's 10th anniversary, Pope released a free browser-based D-make of Papers, Please, appearing to emulate the game on an LCD handheld console. So we've touched on it a bit, but let's expand a little bit more on the gameplay. The gameplay of Papers, Please focuses on the work life of an immigration inspector at the border checkpoint for the fictional country of Aristotska in the year 1982. At the time frame of the game, Aristotska has recently ended a six-year-long war with the neighboring country of Kolechia. Yet, political tensions between them and other nearby countries remain high. As a checkpoint inspector, the player reviews arrivals documents and uses an array of tools to determine whether the papers are in order for the purpose of arresting certain individuals such as terrorists, wanted criminals, smugglers, and entrants with forged or stolen documents keeping other undesired individuals like those missing required paperwork or expired paperwork out of the country, and allowing the rest through. For each in-game day, the player is given specific rules on what documentation is required and conditions to allow or deny entry, which become progressively more complex as each day passes. 
One by one, immigrants arrive at the checkpoint and provide their paperwork. The player can use a number of tools to review the paperwork to make sure it is in order. When discrepancies are discovered, the player may interrogate the applicant, demand missing documents, take the applicant's fingerprints while simultaneously ordering a copy of the applicant's identity record in order to prove or clear either name or physical description discrepancies, order a full body scan in order to clear or prove weight or apparent biological sex discrepancies or find enough incriminating evidence required to arrest the entrant. There are opportunities for the player to have the applicant detained and the applicant may, at times, attempt to bribe the inspector. The player ultimately must stamp the entrant's passport to accept or deny entry unless the player orders the arrest of the entrant. If the player has violated the protocol, a citation will be issued to the player shortly after the entrant leaves. Generally, the player can make two violations without penalty, but subsequent violations will cost the player increasing monetary penalties from their day's salaries. The player has a limited amount of real time, representing a full day shift at the checkpoint to process as many arrivals as possible. At the end of each in-game day, the player earns money based on how many people have been processed and bribes collected, lowered by penalties for protocol violations, and then must decide on a simple budget to spend that money on with either rent, food, heat, and other necessities in low-class housing for themselves and their family. The player must also make certain not to earn too much money in illegitimate ways, lest his family be reported and have all the money they have accumulated thus far confiscated by the government. As relations between Aristotska and nearby countries deteriorate, sometimes due to terrorist attacks, new sets of rules are gradually added. Based on the game's story, such as denying entry to citizens of specific countries or demanding new types of documentation. The player may be challenged with moral dilemmas as the game progresses, such as allowing the supposed spouse of an immigrant through despite lacking complete papers at the risk of accepting a terrorist into the country. The game uses a mix of randomly generated entrants and scripted encounters. Randomly generated entrants are created using templates. Over the course of the game, the player may encounter members of an organization called EZIC, E-Z-I-C, which plot a coup d'etat against the Aristotskan government. The player can also choose to escape to a neighboring country, Oberstan, to start a new life with or without their family. The game has a scripted story mode with 20 possible endings depending on the player's actions, as well as some unlockable randomized endless play modes. Two Russian filmmakers, Lilia Koch and Nikita Ordinsky of Kynadom Productions developed an 11-minute live-action film based on Papers, Please, entitled Papers, Please, the short film, starring Igor Savichkin as the passport inspector. The film was authorized by Lucas Pope after Ordinsky sent him the screenplay via email. The film premiered at the Tregorka House of Culture in Moscow, Russia, on January 27, 2018. The film debuted worldwide via YouTube and the Steam storefront on February 24, 2018. The film received overwhelmingly positive reviews on Steam upon its release. The short film's success led Catch and Ordinsky to pursue a similar short film for Beholder, another game set in a totalitarian state. 
Ordinsky would later voice Seaman Alexei Toporov in Return of the Obra Dinn, a 2018 video game developed by Pope, which was also a Seamus McNally Grand Prize winner. Papers Please received positive reviews on release, receiving generally favorable reviews from 40 reviews on Metacritic. Papers, Please has been praised for the sense of immersion provided by the game mechanics and the intense emotional reaction. CBC News' Jonathan Orr called Papers, Please a nerve-wracking, sleuthing game with relentless pacing and dozens of compelling characters, all from a desk job. Simon Parkin, writing for the New Yorker blog, declared Papers, Please the top video game of 2013. He wrote, Grim yet affecting. It's a game that may change your attitude the next time you're in line at the airport. Some critics received the story very well. Ben Yahtzee Croshaw of the Escapist series Zero Punctuation lauded the game for being a truly unique entry for 2013 and even made it one of his top five games for that year. He cited the game's morality as his reasoning by explaining that Papers, Please presents us constant moral choices, but makes it really hard to be a good person. While you could waive the rules to reunite a couple, you do it at the expense of your own family. You have to decide if you want to create a better world or just look after you and yours. As of March 2014, at the time of the BAFTA Awards, Pope stated that the game had sold 500,000 copies. By August 2016, three years after release, Pope stated that more than 1.8 million copies had been sold across all platforms, and as we had said at the top of the episode, by its 10th anniversary, the game had sold 5 million units. Wired listed Papers, Please as their top game for 2013, recognizing that the game's title, often coupled with the Hollywood representation of Nazi officials stopping people and demanding to see their identification, alongside the drab presentation captured the ideas of living as a lowly worker in a police state. In 2019, the game was ranked 45th on the Guardian newspaper's The 50 Best Video Games of the 21st Century list. Some critics reacted against the paperwork gameplay. Stephanie Bendixson from the ABC's game review show Good Game found the game tedious, commenting, quote, While I found the issues that arose from the decisions you are forced to make quite interesting, I was just so bored that I just struggled to go from one day to the next. I was torn between wanting to find out more and just wanting it all to stop. Papers, Please is considered by several journalists as an example of video games as an art form. Papers, Please is frequently categorized as an empathy game, a type of role-playing game that asks the player to inhabit their character's emotional worlds, as described by Patrick Begley of the Sydney Morning Herald, or as described by Pope himself, other people simulators. Pope noted that he had not set out to make an empathy game, but the emotional ties created by his scenarios came about naturally from developing the core mechanic. And as we know, Papers, Please won the Seamus McNally Grand Prize, Excellence in Narrative, and Excellence in Design Awards at the 2014 Independent Games Festival Awards and was nominated for the Nuovo Award. The title also won the Innovation Award and Best Downloadable Game at the 2014 Game Developers' Choice Awards. The game won Best Simulation Game and was nominated in the categories of Best Game, game design, and game innovation at the 2014 BAFTA VGAs. Papers, Please also won an Interactive Narrative and Game Plus Play Peabody Award in 2021. And so as we start to wrap this up and wrap our minds around 
the simplicity that is built into this. And I know, obviously, for some critics like Stephanie, it was a very boring game. But I think that is also the purpose of it. I mean, you are a border agent. You are kind of seeing these people through. It is a mundaneness built up into what you are. So before I get ahead of myself, as always, Derek, let the people know why did we choose this game and what do you think? This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Yeah, absolutely. You know, thinking about that review, I think that it is just a great example of the dichotomy of gamers that play games like this and more action-oriented games. Like, you can be an enjoyer of both, I think, and Mm -hmm. you can be drawn to one or the other, but... You know, you have to, I think, be a certain type of person to really get invested in a game like this. Otherwise, I think she's 100% right that it just is going to feel mundane and tedious. I think that is a totally fair review to give if you're not able to sort of expand your imagination in this game because Mm -hmm. it doesn't necessarily resonate with you. And, you know, I think that's totally fair. But Obviously, a lot of video game playing is suspending that belief and getting involved and playing that role and being something that you're not in a regular day-to-day form, even if it's something as mundane as being like a border patrol officer, you know, Mm -hmm. and in a game like this, like I said at the beginning of the episode, it's just such a departure from the kinds of games that we were seeing, and it really is the beginning of that that new sort of look at video gaming where we are fine with this mundane nature. In a lot of ways, it reminds me of games that I played on the computer like back in the 90s, uh, especially Mm -hmm. the art style, but also the gameplay itself a little bit where it's very much like a black and white sort of yes, no, like pass or fail type of scenario. You know, there are these other little things built into it, the emotional responses of, well, do I let this thing slide because I want this guy to be with his wife, you know? But at the end of the day, when, the, when you're judged by your superiors on whether you did a good job or not, you know, you pass or, or fail. And that is a, a very, I feel like a very 90s, like simplistic video game style of game where it's just like, a very quick, like, nope, you done goofed. Yeah. Not a lot of little subtleties that happen, even though there are a lot of little subtle interactions that happen with these different characters. So just a really fun game that has a lot of depth that is deceiving, I think. And I really loved um, just the the little story about him thinking this is going to be a six-month thing. And then it becomes nine month. I mean, this is like his proverbial baby 
in a way mm-hmm. that that literally took the nine months to to get out there and then obviously very fruitful for him so very cool and uh loved that little coincidence yeah it's one of those things too where it's he sees this game as like i just want to get done with it's not going to be a commercial success i want to go work on a project that can be commercially viable this is more of a side project just had an idea wanted to get it out there and it turned into you know a a very highly referenced indie title and you're right it is simplistic in nature it can be boring at times but if you get past those like day 1 day 2 day 3 you start to see a lot more and the more dimensionality that is this world that is building through it of like yeah there on one of the days there is a terrorist attack and it's like whoa this game's a little bit more than i thought it would be and then that's when you get more rules of like okay people from that country can't come or people from this region are not allowed and they have to have this 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 and the game does bog you down and it, and it is nerve-wracking you know by the end of the game you're checking like seven pieces of paperwork like okay do you have this do you have this okay is their name right okay okay is that this is the the correct stamping they needed from this region is that the correct seal and it it adds up and there's those little story beat moments of like the one random npcs you can run into as you check their paperwork but also those scripted ones and those will all affect how the story is going to end what is of those great 20 endings you can get um it it drives that narrative and it does give you and it builds in that replay value to know that of like oh i didn't do that and then this happened what if i did accept that huge bribe what if i did allow in that guy's wife what would happen if i did that because i didn't do it this time and it does add that replay value especially now that it has been ported to a better optimized ios or android title it is a very fun like waiting at the airport style game where yeah. you're just kind of like, okay, checking things out. How does it go? How does this work? And it, it, it definitely like, I think for me fits into that niche of like, we were figuring out what can you do in a one person studio or two person on, on some of this. And we're seeing so many more titles that are coming out with one, two, three people working on it. There's tiny teams, um, which is a indie kind of festival an indie spotlight on these really, really small studios or bedroom studios, as they're calling a lot of them, for titles that are pretty big, that fill in this gap that people want that like, you know, the 45th Call of Duty can't fill in. Sure. And it's, it's really cool to see that continue to build. Sure, absolutely. And games like this, I think, pave way for more features like this in other bigger video games as well, mm-hmm. because you demonstrate in a way that there is an interest in some sort of this going on within the video game realm. You know, what if what if one day a game or a, a an activity like this makes its way into a Call of Duty? Like, that's two very, very different things. But mm-hmm. potentially, I think it just opens a lot of doors for people to explore more creativity, things that people normally may have looked at and said, no, that's too boring, that's too mundane. And then they see a game like this come out and they say, hey, maybe not. Maybe this could be cool. And we could focus in, I think, on the um, just the occupational aspect of this without the emotional mm-hmm. aspect. And it's the entire simulator series, you know, farming simulator, lawnmower, power washer, like, mm-hmm. you know, even like house flipper, car mechanic. Like there's all these things in there that those don't have the emotional side of this as well but i think that in a way to make this game 
to, to really elevate it to where he wanted it to be, he had to add that part in because otherwise it's a very, very monotonous, boring thing. And until you're like really feeling like you're having to make big, impactful decisions, whether it be denying a family a better life or, you know, possibly hurting your own family or being too much of a stickler, not making enough money, you know, there's all these these decisions that then eventually make their way into a very emotional state of the game. And so that's that's really, I think, where the core of this game really shines. Mm -hmm. And for me, it's like an eight and a half out of 10, I think. What about you? Yeah, I, I think you're right on that. And there, there actually was a contraband police dropped in March of 2023, so this year, that basically takes papers. What if you took papers, please, and you made it a 3D move around driving game, all these other things of like checking out all these people trying to cross the border. You're checking their car, you're checking their person, you're checking all these things. So it takes that idea of papers, please, and has now brought it to an indie title 10 years later that has fully expanded on that idea of it and has picked up huge popularity in the streaming community and has made its rounds on like TikTok clips and all this other crazy stuff with it. And it's cool to see. I, I think that's great where it's like you can bring jank together of these kind of janky looking people that are not polished with janky mechanics and gameplay that just work. And so it's, it's really cool to see how each of these indie games evolves and people take that idea they played 10 years ago maybe as a kid, maybe as a, a fledgling developer, you know, like, hey, I like that idea. I think we can make it bigger. And so if I had to give this a rating, I think to everyone out there, it's just glory to Astatska. Out of 10, it has continued to shape the gaming sphere, the gaming universe, and I'm so, so excited to keep seeing how the indie side of gaming will keep pushing the envelope and keep pushing for innovation and really fun games and a lot of stuff just to play with your friends. Absolutely. I think that's a really great way to end it. This has been fun. Another great little indie bonus episode, bite-sized episode that maybe matches one or two full-size episodes, but we're going to ignore that fact <laughs> because we can. Exactly. Thanks for listening to, I think we all know it, A-I-E, Alex, indie episodes, or I said something else at the top of the episode, but either way... Welcome and good night. <laughs> Finish the bite sized episode. Okay, goodbye.